Hello and welcome to the very first episode of The Goat Farm, the show that is dedicated to DevOps and the enterprise. I'm your co-host, Michael Ducey, joining today from beautiful Columbus, Ohio. And I'm Ross Clanton, your co-host on this ride into the world of enterprise and DevOps, joining you from balmy Minneapolis. What's the temperature there? Is it above zero? It is. I think we're maybe around 20 right now. Oh, that is it's, balmy. It's a warm December day. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so as we start this journey, why don't you give a little bit of background about yourself, Ross, and then I'll give a little bit of background on my, myself and, and why we want to go into this world of podcasting about DevOps and the enterprise. Sure. Um, I actually work for Target Corporation. I've, I've spent my career there, 16 years in enterprise IT there. I, uh, I've been all around our IT organization, so I, I've, I've really kind of started in ops in my career, started working in our data centers, um, spent a number of years working uh, in, our in, in our infrastructure engineering organization, specifically in our server engineering organization, and, and, led, started, and that's where I really moved into leadership um, probably about 10 years ago. And in doing that, I, I led a lot of our, our Unix teams and initiatives, a lot of early virtualization strategies, some of our early moves into into the Linux space. And then after my time in our server engineering space, I spent a few years uh, in our security organization, moved into middle management at that point, uh, almost made a career out of security, lived and breathed identity management, threat and vulnerability management, became a CISSP, um, and literally thought I was that was the career I was going to take. And then decided that isn't what I wanted to do, and I wanted to broaden uh, further and even take probably the biggest jump of my career and step out of the infrastructure uh, organization, which happened to be where security was located at that time as well. And I moved into enterprise architecture. And that was actually really good for me at that time um, because, one, it was very different than everything I'd experienced before, so it allowed me to further broaden my perspective, and it was... Um, a strategic function that allowed me to both look broadly across our enterprise as well as face more externally and see some of the trends and stuff that were starting in the industry. And I just finished that role a little over a year ago. So that was a ripe time for me to, um, I first got exposed to DevOps there. I started to get really exposed to the complexities in the enterprise and the complexities that a lot of enterprise were face- enterprises were facing. Uh, and then I decided actually to move back into Kind of my area of expertise and went back into infrastructure, but I kind of came in with a a newfound perspective on on the problem, the problem that IT was facing in the enterprise, and started to dig further into DevOps and really started to focus uh, my last year, year and a half on building my own understanding, my own perspective, and and working out how to drive that kind of change across our organization. And that's actually how I, I met uh, you through that period and yeah. uh, got exposed to you through um, Chef and, and work that we're doing with you there. Um, I will just kind of close on my intro and say that because I do work for an enterprise, I just want to call out a quick disclaimer that my views expressed on this cod- podcast are my own. Obviously, they're well-formed based on experiences I have at Target and in working and interacting with other enterprises while I've been there. For those who may not know, uh, describe the role of enterprise architecture for us. Yes, yeah, so enterprise architecture is a strategic function, and when you, especially in a large enterprise, you have a, a lot of different components of your overall technology architecture that 
actually make up how you do technology in an enterprise. So there's different models and ways to think about what enterprise architecture is. Uh, It's often broken down into um, kind of subcomponents like business architecture, which think about that as your kind of business processes across your enterprise, your capabilities, your business capabilities that you want to map your technology organization to, technology architecture, which often maps back into kind of the core infrastructure components that make up your architecture across the enterprise. Data architecture, which is uh, absolutely critical uh, component of that, and how how do you need to define, manage, architect your data uh, so that you have um, master data and and kind of simplified use of data across your enterprise. Uh, those are all kind of the core components, but it, it it's often a team made up of very senior level technology. Um, in, uh, technology architects or, or technology uh, uh, team members, and it does uh, interface, like I said, very broadly across the enterprise. So you tend to work with all of the technology functions in your organization. You tend to work across the different business functions in your organization as well. Some of the output with, of enterprise ar- architecture, you often develop a lot of technology roadmaps around where do you want to bring uh, the organization, what's the strategy and roadmap from a technology perspective over you know a one, three, five-year period. A lot of artifacts and frameworks on how you're going to design your different systems and how you're going to manage the portfolios of your technology across across your enterprise. Cool. So I, th- I think a lot of people who might be listening may not ask, actually know what the role of enterprise architecture is. And especially as we get into kind of these enterprise-type topics, if people aren't necessarily familiar with enterprise IT and how enterprise IT works those types of ideas might be foreign to them, right? Mm-hmm. What about your background? Mine isn't as varied. Well, I guess mine is more varied than yours. Uh, I've worked at a, a variety of different companies over the years. So I really kind of cut my teeth at, at an education company being a, a systems engineer, having to deal with everything from the operating system to the application stack, Apache, Postgres, kickstart the entire basically i was i was the person for this education company that did testing software and we had to deploy this software to a fleet of servers that were highly distributed across the country and usually a a really bad t1 line or uh, in some cases there used to be dial-up but luckily i didn't have to deal with any of that maybe a really bad isdn line that we would have to try and push our updates and applications and then also pull data extracts over and then after that, I moved on to Orbitz Worldwide, uh, which is an online travel company. And I did a variety of roles there, working in the ops center, doing sysadmin work, working as kind of third level ops, which is nowadays called site reliability engineering, uh, and then moved, moved on to performance and capacity planning as well. And then from there, I moved on and kind of went over to the vendor side uh, and worked a while at BMC Software. And that's where I really kind of got exposed to how large enterprises work, kind of going in and doing consulting work at these large enterprises and trying to help them understand uh, mainly automation at the time and how to automate some of the processes and things that they were doing. And what I found was a lot of times they would be really curious about how they changed their organization and how they changed their organization to enable automation and have automation kind of cut across the different groups and enable those groups to work faster. So that was kind of an interesting, I guess, awakening. And then 
cloud got extremely popular uh, and I moved on to a startup called Instratius, based actually in uh, Minneapolis, where you're at, mm-hmm. and uh, worked there for a little while. Uh, and then eventually I ended up at Chef. Uh, and like you, uh, my ideas expressed on this podcast are my ideas and not necessarily those ideas of Chef. Uh, so we both have to get the disclaimer in there. Mm-hmm. So at Instratius, I got to work with people like John Vincent and John Willis. If you don't know who they are, should you should look them up i know you do ross but anyone who listen, who's listening to, who if you don't know who those guys are you should look them up but this crazy guy john willis was always talking about uh statistical process control and dimming and lean manufacturing and all these kind of crazy ideas and how you can apply them to uh what we do in it and so i kind of i kind of started following john as part of well my working with him on a day-to-day basis and some of these ideas and uh, what was funny is that I had kind of moved away from kind of the open source web scale IT type world and I came back and I was talking to John actually on my interview. John actually tried to stump me and he asked me if I knew anything about Graphite. So I don't know if you know this Ross but Graphite came out of Orbits Worldwide. Uh, a guy on my team actually is the one who wrote it and I helped him get it rolled out through our, our entire organization. And so John's trying to stump me about graphite and I'm like, yeah, I know a lot about graphite. By the way, you know, I know so-and-so and Matt O'Keefe and all these other people that used to work at Orbitz and did a lot of stuff at graphite. And so well, I thought it was funny because I came back into this world and graphite was all over the place and it was kind of this de facto standard in this DevOps world. And so it kind of woke me up and was like, what is going on in this DevOps world that they would be so interested in this graphing tool that we wrote in 2008? And so that's kind of my journey back into it. And I had also started doing my MBA and looking at things like operations management. And I hear I'm working with somebody, John Willis, who is is talking about dimming and operations management type ideas all the time and how they can be applied to IT. And I kind of really kind of felt at home because when I started my MBA, I tried to bring some of those things into how we worked with our customers at BMC. And some of my peers weren't actually very interested in doing those things. And I thought we had kind of missed the boat from that perspective. And here there was somebody, John Willis, who was was really big on these ideas. And I felt like I had finally had somebody who understood what I was talking about or wanting to talk about. And that's kind of my journey into the DevOps world. Yeah, what was interesting is when I went through my MBA as well, I, I don't know if you had this, but for my operations management course, the assign, one of the assigned readings as part of that course was the goal, which little did I know at that time, the importance of that book in the whole DevOps movement. Right, yeah. So the goal <laughs> by uh, Ira Goldratt. Yeah. Right, which is uh, John Willis is always fond of telling anyone who asks, and even people who don't ask, uh, the Phoenix Project is just a rewrite of the goal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just an IT context instead of manufacturing. Yep, yep. Uh, let's talk about the name of the podcast, shall we? Yeah. Yeah, um, I think people should know. You wouldn't expect an enterprise DevOps podcast to be named The Goat Farm. A couple years ago, actually about a year and a half ago, I was challenged to come up with a talk about goats and silos. And the idea was that, you know, there's silos all over our organizations and especially in large enterprise IT. We always talk about in DevOps of of kind of tearing down those silos. And there's a mathematical problem called the goat and the silo where a goat is actually tethered to a silo and you have to calculate the grazing area of the goat. 
I, I started playing around with this idea of like, how do you take this Godin silo problem and apply it to enterprise IT? Well, the interesting thing about goats is that they're very multifunctional animals. So you can use them for food, either their milk or their meat. You can use their fur. You can, uh, if you don't choose to kill them, you can actually have them graze and use their milk and then also have them graze. And actually they're kind of a, a, a natural lawnmower. And in a lot of places, they're actually given to people that are poor to try and help bring them out of poverty because they can provide things like manure to fertilize crops and then also the milk as well. If you think about the people that you need in, I, in IT nowadays to kind of help with these transformational ideas, you need these kind of multi-purpose individuals to kind of bring about this change that kind of kind of like that enterprise architecture example that you gave that sweep across the entire organization that can see across everything and kind of understand this bigger picture. So the idea behind the goat farm is really to kind of like, how do we get more goats, right? How do we get these multi-purpose individuals that can spread across IT to kind of help with this transformational idea? Yeah, and I actually think it's a very fitting name and analogy for what we're trying to do in the enterprise it was interesting because when we kind of first started pursuing DevOps at Target, we actually brought you in to our first DevOps days and, and you, you gave that presentation. And it's still one of the, the best presentations we've had at any of our DevOps days and we've done three of them now. And specifically with our engineer community, with our dev and our infrastructure engineers, the, the story and the message really resonated with them that you, you know, we've got to expand our boundaries. You have, and this enables you to be more full stack and see beyond a specific technology domain. It's actually also, I would say, inspired some thinking internally. You mentioned earlier that uh, often in the DevOps community, and I hear this quite often, there's kind of this push to you have to break down the silos. You got to tear down the silos or blow them up. And that message doesn't necessarily resonate well when you're trying to drive broad change in an enterprise um, people own those silos and there's lots of them and they often don't want to hear that you're going to blow them up but the reality is when you're in a large context like that it's more important to figure out how do you effectively span the silos and boundary span and have people that that can be that bridge and can work across and can drive collaboration in different ways and i've more and more i'm seeing that as as an outcome that we're getting to now, do we need to simplify silos? Absolutely. But but it's definitely allowed us to kind of change our messaging internally with some of the stuff we've been driving. Cool, cool. Why do we need yet another podcast? So I had mentioned to somebody that we were um, going to start a podcast, and while he was more than happy for me, uh, he's like, God, yet another podcast that I, you know, have to listen to and, and chain myself to my, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> iPhone or Android device to listen to it yet again. So what's your thoughts on why we need yet another podcast? Well, it's exciting to me. And I've listened to a lot of the podcasts that are out in the industry. Um, and they've been hugely helpful for me to form my own perspective. There's, there's a lot of... Um, DevOps is a broad topic, and there's a lot to it when you start start looking at some of the topics within it and topics it's related to. And so that's been great learning um, from the various podcasts that are out there. But none of them are actually focused on practitioners in the enterprise, leaders and people that are driving DevOps 
work or DevOps transformations within their companies, within an enterprise. Uh, most are focused on uh, you know, interviewing various thought leaders that are out there uh, in the community, uh, vendors. Uh, in many cases, they're more technical uh, podcasts where they're focused on some of the technology components of DevOps. Uh, but no, none that, like I said, are really focused on the enterprise or focused on practitioners and are focused on on how, from a culture and management perspective, like how do you how do you drive these types of changes across a large, complex organization, and specifically people that are doing it, coming in and talking about it. Sure. And so that's exciting to me, and I was really excited that this was really your, your brainchild. This is something you came up with, and and um, invited me to to co-host on, which I'm super excited about. But would love to hear your thoughts as well on why how you came up with the idea and and why you thought this would be a good thing to pursue. So what's interesting is that as DevOps has grown, uh, DevOps is having a lot of growing pain. So if you go to devopsdays.org and you look at the number of, of DevOps Days events over the last five years, it's really interesting because there's this, this huge inflection point in 2013 where there are DevOps Days all over the place. And what's happened is, is, is the word has gotten out more, right? Forrester is starting to pay, pay attention to it. Gartner is starting to pay attention to it. It is, you know, unfortunately for good and for bad, it's the buzzword du jour. And what we're seeing is, is that a lot of people don't, especially in larger enterprises, have no idea what it means and what it is. For good and for bad, we like to hear from people that are like us. And so when you go into the world of DevOps and you're from the enterprise, you're probably going to hear a bunch of stuff that may you think may not necessarily apply to you because it's smaller companies, it's the 100-person company, it's the 200-person company, it's the 15-person startup. One, I, I will say that I feel like you can learn something from an organization of any size, but my goal is to kind of bring out those enterprises that are are having success with success with DevOps so that other enterprises can actually hear this message and understand that one, it'll work for them. And then also how they can possibly maybe get started based upon experiences that are out there of other large enterprises. So that's kind of my idea behind the podcast. Yeah. And I, I definitely feel like that's a shared goal. I think one thing I've seen sitting in an enterprise going after this, going after DevOps, is that early, and not just through my experiences at, at Target, but through interactions with others at other companies as well, early on, especially early when I was focused on this, it was really easy for people to discount DevOps because they attributed it to web companies or startup companies, and they kind of turned off immediately to even trying to learn and understand what it was all about. And I even felt like I spent a lot of my early time like trying to convince people, you know, listen to the fairy tales, like listen to the unicorns. There's a there's a story there. There's innovations to learn from. Now, does it directly apply like the way that they drove that innovation in their business? Does it directly apply exactly that way in ours? No, but there's a lot we can learn from and adapt from there. And it, you know, at its core, the principles are the principles. And I think DevOps is DevOps, but that once you can get people past 
everyone else is different than us and it doesn't apply here because we have all these problems because we're a big enterprise with you know lots of legacy and you can get people to start engaging and starting to learn what are the things that make it up and what what are the mindsets what are the what's the culture what's the principles etc then then you can kind of you can start to get into learning and people can actually start to see what it's all about i'm excited about this podcast because i feel like from what i'm seeing and and you know we'll probably talk here during this first podcast from experience on the uh, at the enterprise devops summit about a month or so ago that was really exciting to me. I was there and I saw a lot of large enterprises and traditional enterprises and people that have been around a long time, and the federal government and all kinds of folks that weren't startups and weren't you know, web 2.0 companies. And people are starting to go down this path. They're starting to try to figure out what this stuff is and they're starting to try to drive their organization towards it. What's exciting to me is I would love to figure out how to accelerate that. I think that Enterprises sure. traditionally are slower to adopt to change unless they absolutely have to. And I think the the further we can accelerate or the further we can see that acceleration across the industry, then the more it's going to enable all of the other companies, and mine included, to even further go down that, that transformation path. Yeah, one thing I hear a lot is that it helps when enterprises – see other enterprises being successful right and mm -hmm. and uh, i hear a lot that i don't have stories that are like mine or that fit my um, i wouldn't say industry but that's not the right term my i guess vertical of it right mm -hmm. and they really want stories that kind of fit all of the challenges that they're going through because the challenges while they're the same i mean every organization has politics but Nobody has multi-layered politics like enterprises can sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Which is kind of well, interesting because it kind of flows into this idea that enterprise, you slap enterprise on something and it becomes this kind of four-letter word, right? <laughs> and you might experience it when you go out and, and, and talk to somebody, and especially maybe while you were an enterprise architect and you tell somebody from, I guess, uh, pick a web company, Google or Facebook or whoever, oh, I'm an enterprise architect, and they're just kind of, oh, nice to meet you, and go on to the next person to talk to, right? <laughs> but it's interesting because, like, you slap this label enterprise on something and enterprise IT, and it's almost become, in some circles, almost like a joke in the industry, and it's it's kind of sad because... You know, in some cases, there's from a scale of people perspective, from a scale of systems perspective, and a scale of you know regulatory regulatory problems and things like that. You know, enterprise IT have massive problems from that perspective that can actually be solved if we're a little bit more open and a little bit more willing to kind of talk to people that are different than us, right? Yeah, absolutely. But it's you know, back to you were making a point a minute or so ago. Enterprises don't like being first. They don't like being the trailblazer. Just I think about like when we started to get momentum at Target, one thing that was, was happening was Nordstrom started going public and talking about what they were doing. It was the first time that I had heard of 
someone that was pretty much like us out topping, talking out in the open about what they were doing around DevOps. And the Nordstrom story is pretty well known now, especially across the DevOps community. It's not it's not necessarily known across enterprises, so it's still a very still a very powerful story. I mean, it's a very powerful story overall, but there's still a lot of people that aren't aren't fully aware of it. But for us, it was like, man, we were we were grabbing on that, and we were like, hey, look, look at this example of this company that's changing, this company that's transforming, this company that's they're they're in an industry, they're in a vertical that we're in. They're look actually at how older than us, right? Yeah, 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 or. Yeah, they're a little older. I mean, Target's about 100 years old if you if you go back through our full history. Um, but uh, yeah, they're old. They're older than we are. They're they're you know they're not quite as big as we are, but they have some of the legacy. They have some of the challenges. They have some of the baggage. They have the different cultural paradigms that that kind of build over time. And we've talked with them a lot. And they they're you know we're both transforming from a very similar point starting point and. Um, and we're both going at it hard now, but it was it was exciting to have someone first. I was so I was so happy to have someone ahead of us because it makes the conversation internally so much different when you can say, "Hey, look, look at what they're doing," and "Hey, let's have a conversation with them. Let's let's hear what they're doing." And now, just seeing more and more people starting to go, it it you know now now we're we're kind of excited to talk about how we're trying to be early in, in this movement. Um, and that wasn't even a conversation I was having a year ago. I was just, you know, wanting people to kind of see the movement and what was going on. Yeah. And what's interesting is is you didn't want to be first, but you're not first, but you're still really early in the movement, right? Right. What I find interesting is this whole idea of, I guess, enterprise DevOps case studies. And uh, I do a lot of travel in Asia. And when I go in and talk to... Um, you know, a large enterprise in, in Asia, they want case studies and they say, give us case studies, give us case studies, give us case studies. What I really want to try and highlight over the next, I guess, several months is these case studies, right? Because that's what enterprises want. They want these case studies that show them that, yes, this can actually work. We can actually apply this to our organization. And, you know, most of the time it's like you made the point of like, here's somebody in our vertical with Nordstrom. It's not only do I want a case study, but I want a case study for somebody who's like us. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on what you want to try and achieve over the next several months with this podcast? For me, I'm, I'm really hoping to expose uh, or, or bring to light what companies are doing to focus on the culture and the mindset of their, their organization. My, my personal views are that that is so foundational to any of these DevOps related changes that you want to drive, whether it's doing things like infrastructure's code, continuous delivery, continuous integration, et cetera, agile, you know, that's, that's not DevOps, but it's like the sister of DevOps. And you can't do those things unless the culture is oriented for it and the mindsets of the people are oriented for it. And that's complex. Cultures are built over a long period of time, and most cultures of large enterprise IT organizations are have been built over time in a way that isn't very conducive to DevOps. To me, that's like that's where the secret sauce is. The people that figure out how to how to do that as quickly as they can as possible, and it's it's not a quick process, no matter how how good you are at it. 
I think that's where we're going to get some really amazing learnings and, and where hopefully our, our listeners over time will get some learnings on how they can really drive change within their own companies. We've known each other probably about, I want to say like 16 months or so now. I'm interested in what do you think is one of the things that's really kind of impacted you the most since the journeys began for you? It's impacted me the most. Man, I've had a lot of, I have had a lot of aha moments and epiphanies and uh, you know, I'm trying to think of just one. At some, uh, you know, I'm just going to rattle off a few because it's hard for me to pinpoint one. Coming into this role, reading the Phoenix Project, I've told this story publicly a few times, so I'm not going to drain the story again. But internalizing how the the story of the Phoenix Project related to my life in corporate IT was super powerful, and it kind of further like got me focused on what the problem was because I, I felt it and. I wanted to learn more about DevOps and these these concepts. Getting some of our first wins within my company of demonstrating the power of infrastructure as code, you know, whether it be that we were able to stand up a whole new environment with everything fully functioning in minutes, whereas it would have taken maybe weeks before in response to something that happened. Uh, super powerful and being able to tell tell that story. Having our first DevOps days where we didn't even know if we were going to have five people, 10 people, 20 people. We had 160 people. That was super powerful. That was that was exciting. And, and you know, there, there was these moments all along. And that uh, was those DevOps days that was internal to Target. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. That was a, um, probably about 10 months ago. That was our, our first DevOps days internal to Target. Having engineers across our company reach out to me with genuine enthusiasm and want to get involved and want to learn and want to you know participate in what we were doing, and then figuring out creative ways to get them involved that didn't necessarily mean that they had you know I had we had to make organizational decisions, and that's big in an enterprise. It's hard sometimes to shift to this fully empowered mode where you enable people to engage because they have passion and experience and they want to, they want to get involved in doing something where when they might be used to a model where, where their priorities are set by their management and, and often we have a backlog of things to work on. But having more and more of those moments just further, and I think that's really important to have those when you're trying to drive change because yep. you need to get re-energized all the time. Yep. Um, most recently, the Enterprise DevOps Summit was super energizing for me to actually be at a, an event in the industry with a community of my peers. Um, and it was the first conference I'd been to where it was mostly leaders in IT and in, in enterprise organizations and IT, both hearing their stories and, and having a lot of people kind of come up and talk to Heather and I with genuine excitement and enthusiasm around wanting to learn from some of the stuff we were doing internally. Those are all... Um, yeah, those are all things that have just continued to impact me, and that's important. Like I said, I feel like I, you know, it's I feel like those things are coming with more and more frequency because I think also as you start to get to results um, and get the organization oriented around understanding the results, and, and that's a really important point because 
with most people that are practicing aspects of DevOps, they, they're grounded in the whole idea of, of continuous improvement and test and learn and iterating until awesome, right? And so, so doing things and getting your mindset oriented around always continuing to do things and get them better, that's a different way to think about the value that you're driving in the organization. Yeah. And it takes people a while to see that value but then seeing where people are starting to see the value and, and actually um, that that's super rewarding and fulfilling. And it is for my team too. I can see it in their energy levels, right? Because they're seeing more people responding to results that we get. So yes, it's hard for me to say there's just one thing. Um, yeah. I feel like it's kind of the, the encompassing everything that's going on right now. It's keeping me very passionate and engaged on this topic, which... Um, again, is why I'm super excited to be doing this podcast. Awesome. It sounds like you're super excited. And uh, I think in the state of DevOps survey that Puppet Labs did, one of the, the key drivers for a successful organization from a financial perspective was uh, engaged employees, right? And it yes. sounds like you're definitely driving that in your organization, which is awesome. Yeah, it is fun when you see people show up with genuine enthusiasm and they want to get involved into things. And I feel like doing these things um, definitely enables that. So how about you? What's been your thing, your one thing or your, your things? So I last September took a family vacation and we ended up in Dublin. So we were in Dublin, Ireland, and I met a friend who I used to work with back in my early days of being a sysadmin. And she asked me, you know, what have I been doing and, you know, where's my career taken me over the years? And I told her, you know, I'm doing a lot more kind of evangelism work and working with customers and consulting and stuff like that. And she says, well, that means you have to be nice to people. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, uh, I've actually changed a lot and I can actually be really nice to people. So the thing that uh, kind of impacted me the most, I guess, probably within the last year is this whole idea of kind of uh, understanding that a difference exists between people and that this idea that, you know, that's probably when I need to listen most, right? And this, is, uh, this isn't my idea. This is something that's actually been tossed around a lot in the DevOps community around the idea of empathy. Uh, Anil, I can't say his last name, but Anil on Twitter, at Anil had a video at Velocity or a, a talk at Velocity that basically went through this whole idea that, you know, the single strongest signal that there's something to learn is that a difference exists. Um, I used to be really bad at that and I used to be really big on kind of pushing my own agenda. I still have some of those problems and issues, but <laughs> uh, I've gotten a lot better at it if, if you can actually believe that. Um, so this idea of just like being nicer to people, listening more, understanding that I have something to learn from pretty much anyone that I come across are big ideas that really started to kind of impact me. Uh, and it's something that I constantly have to remind myself of, right? Yeah. I have some of those same problems at times. Yeah, I think we all do <laughs> from time to time. So, Ross, I think we're off to a great start. Yeah. I'm excited to get some guests on here and we'll we can shift to interviewing mode. Yes, yes, instead of interviewing <laughs> each other. Yeah. 
So if anyone has ideas for upcoming episodes, uh, feel free to post a comment on our site, goatcan.com. Also, you can reach out to us on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at MFDII, so at Michael Francis Ducey II. Mine is at Ross Clanton. So one thing, interesting thing that I've learned about Ross, that all his usernames are Ross Clanton, <laughs> which makes it really easy to find him on any of the social media outlets. Well, Ross, we're getting to the end of our time here. Do you have anything else to add? Nope. We'll talk to you next time. Yep. And next time we'll have some interesting guests from Enterprises talking about their journey to DevOps. Thanks for listening. And as always, be, be the, the goat. goat. <laughs> <laughs>